Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 44, we sit down with Charlie Zitnick, who is the Senior Vice President of Public Finance for DA Davidson Companies. Great conversation with Charlie, discussing his background and his time on the Great Plains in Western Kansas. Uh, then we get into his time in the public finance space and how DA Davidson is going to market today. And of course, where he sees the future of the industry heading. As far as the last part of the show, Charlie and I had a neat Charlie had a neat response for what he wants his lasting legacy to be. It was a first for the podcast here, so really good stuff there. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode in future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the people out there who are streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. Now, we think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Charlie and I, but before we drop in, I do need to read a disclaimer that was requested by DA Davidson. This is purely from a compliance standpoint, so go ahead and hit the fast-forward button at this point if you uh, want to just get straight into the conversation. The material I am providing is strictly for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing stated herein is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any securities or services. I am not acting as a municipal or financial advisor, nor am I providing advice or acting as a fiduciary. The views, opinions, forecasts, and estimates expressed herein are being provided by me and are not necessarily the views or opinions of DA Davidson and are subject to change at any time due to market, economic, or other conditions. DA Davidson and its representatives may have a conflict of interest in the products or services mentioned in this material because they have a financial interest in them and may receive compensation directly or indirectly in connection with the distribution and or servicing of these products or services. Past performance of any sector or securities referenced in this discussion is not a guarantee of future results. Certain information discussed may be based on data obtained from third-party sources believed to be reliable. However, we have not verified this information and we make no representations whatsoever as to its accuracy or completeness. This communication is not a product of DA Davidson DA Davidson's research department and should not be regarded as a research recommendation. That's it for the disclaimer. Now let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Charlie Zitnick, who is a Senior Vice President of Public Finance with DA Davidson Companies. Charlie, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm glad we made this happen. And you were kind enough to send me over some some marketing information via mail, snail mail. So I had a chance to uh, to read that and review that this week. And we're going to get into all of it and tell our audience about what you guys are up to, how you're going to market. But before we do that, let's go back to the beginning. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and then kind of how you got started in the industry? Yes, thank you. Go, going way back, which is a lot of years, I, w- I was a city, city kid, born in New York, uh, spent time in New York and in Kansas City, and at a point in about uh, eighth grade, 
found ourselves or found myself and my family living out in western Kansas. So I, I didn't have quite the uh, urban childhood I expected. You know, my childhood back in those days consisted of uh, working in a slaughterhouse for a couple of years, detasseling corn, detailing used cars, you know, typical summer jobs for a kid from the country. Ultimately, uh, uh, my family left that area of the country and, and went back to New York and, and I stayed out in the Midwest. Very interesting. Okay. Well, if we had more time, I'd, I'd want to hear more about those, uh, those jobs that you had. So, so that must've been quite the, um, the dichotomy of, of like upbringing between city life and, and going out to the country. So uh, what did you enjoy most? Where, where did you enjoy spending your time? Well, I, I think Jim, I would say that the answer by observation is uh, Kansas city uh, yeah. because we lived here for a few years in my childhood. And then after school, I came back here ultimately. Got it. So, Got it. Okay. So I, I like the urban life, but not not quite the New York urban life. All right. So that that actually so you're in Kansas City area today, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we we base our operations in in this space out of Kansas City. Got it. Got it. All right. So so walk us through maybe like where you went to school initially, graduated, and then how did you get into the public finance or finance world? When we had moved out to to uh, the Plains states, out to Western Kansas, uh, my father and I were coming home one afternoon from some sort of a groundbreaking or ribbon cutting or something for one of the plants. And eighth grade looks over at me and says, "So Chuck, what uh, what do you want to do?" I said, I, "Well, I want to be a stockbroker." Well, what what does that mean? I said, "Well, I, I don't really know, but I kind of like to make money. around. Yeah, I, I like fooling around in the stock market." Even, even at that age, but I didn't really know, you know, certainly the differentiation between investment banker, a stockbroker, uh, an analyst, what have you. But ultimately, uh, I went to uh, University of Kansas undergraduate and uh, went into the securities business straight out of school. At that point, I had some understanding of, of differentiation and specialties within the, within the area. Ultimately, uh, I ended up, uh, that would be 1982, doing securitizing of commercial real estate into investment units. And it's a pretty heady time for a 22-year-old, 200 or so nights a year on the road and just meeting with investor and investor teams. I was a little slow on the uptake. I didn't realize that uh, tax reform of 86 had killed our business. I didn't realize that until 1989. But uh, in 1989, uh, realizing the economics were no longer there, I, I moved over to the public finance side of the securities industry, and I've been here ever since. Very cool. So, so you've been in the, the financial industry your entire career. What was the path that led you to DA Davidson specifically? Let's, let's pick up there. When, when I got into uh, the public finance side of the business in 89, there were many more regional firms and, and you know, the, the industry wasn't dominated by uh, what we call the bulge bracket firms now. So I was with a regional firm uh, and uh, ultimately ended up with uh, a company called Kirkpatrick Pettis, which was Mutual of Omaha's broker-dealer at the time. And this is, this is when broker-dealers uh, and insurance companies had many mergers. Everybody wanted to be a financial supermarket. And, you know, so the, the trend in merging was on. 
I joined a team at, at DA David, or excuse me, at Kirkpatrick. There were probably 120 of us or so. And in, in 96, that team, 2006, yeah, uh, 2006, uh, that team was acquired by DA Davidson. And DA Davidson is, a, at that time, it was probably eight, eight or 900 employees uh, with some presence, but not a huge presence in public finance. And they, they acquired us, uh, our public finance team, to expand their footprint in public finance. And I'm, I'm very pleased that the team that came over from Kirkpatrick Pettis in 2006, but for retirements, we're all still together. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool to see that. So for the audience out there, the members that are listening to this that um, haven't had the benefit of reviewing this marketing information that you had sent over to me, could you just give us a brief overview, DA Davidson, you know, how you guys are going market today? And then I know you're, I was reading it this morning, your material does do a good job of going through like, here's what our differentiator is. Here's how we're able to serve our clients. So just on a really simple format, if you could just give us a brief overview on that. Sure. I think I'll, I'll kind of take it down like a funnel. We, we are approximately 1,300 employees nationwide uh, in about 100 offices. And within that uh, number of employees, we have about 175 of us that are in public finance in about probably 35 offices of the 100 or so offices that we have. And then within public finance, uh, we, ha- we have banking, which is what I do. And then within banking, we have this, this Skunk Works group uh, called EPIC, uh, Energy Performance and Infrastructure Construction Finance Team. And that, that's the group I'm with. We work with ESCOs and contractors on energy savings projects. Perfect. Yeah. And I was glad that we connected because we've had, if you've listened to a couple of our episodes, we've had a handful of folks on from the kind of the infrastructure finance world. And I'm always curious to get their perspectives on just the broader scope of the industry and kind of where it's heading as it pertains to public-private partnerships. And really just what we're seeing is there's a lot of money that's coming into the industry. So what is your thought process? What is the DA Davidson strategy? And kind of where do you guys see the industry heading from your value proposition standpoint? Jim, I think the my, my perspective on, on the value proposition is because our work is almost exclusively with ESCOs, under, under the Dodd-Frank Reform Act, ESCOs could no longer give financial advice to their clients. Okay? Prior, prior to Dodd-Frank, they, they could. And I think our, our value proposition, what has allowed us to expand so broadly so quickly is we keep ESCOs out of trouble with the regulators. They bring us in earlier, much earlier than they used to. We were generally an afterthought by ESCOs on when it's time to get financing done. Now, under under Dodd-Frank and under the municipal advisory prohibitions, we're brought in at at the onset, typically during uh, the making of the business case or the making of the investment-grade audit. So you're kind of like the shield. That's where you're like a trusted advisor for the ESCOs. You're coming in and say, hey, let us handle this. Let's keep you out of trouble. We'll be an ally for you, is what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, very, very cool. So, so I touched on the public-private partnership, right? Because that, that's just where, you know, I know other countries have been doing it for a while, but it's relatively new here in the U.S. So where's your involvement on P3 projects and, and just what's your intake or your perspective on that specifically? Yeah, I, I think we're, we're, we're seeing it as an emerging market, whether it's, it's PPP or the X as a service. And, you know, it might be energy as a service, it might be savings as a service, it might be metering as a service. I, I think we still have a ways to go, uh, much much like 30 years ago when, when tax-exempt lease purchase financing began to get its legs. I think that's where we are at the at the smaller issuer level, perhaps the 10 million 10, 10 million minus level, we, we've got a ways to go on accounting treatment of those those kind of financings. But I, I think we're I think we're getting there in very short order. And the, the other thing I was I was curious about, and we don't have to get into anybody specifically here, but as you guys look to partner with ESCOs and other energy retrofit companies in the industry, are there certain things that you look for, either from a leadership standpoint, from a project standpoint? Like, what are those areas that you look for in a potential partner that you use to evaluate? Hey, we're going to do good business together. You know, it is such a small industry. We we sit at a, a point in the industry where we know many things about many people and many ESCOs. And I think part of the value we bring is the level of confidentiality ESCOs are willing to share with us with the knowledge that it won't be shared even even within our team. And I've had a partner, uh, Steve Gale, 25 years, but, but for my wife, uh, I share more with him than anybody, and many times he nor I will know what the other one knows about a given person or a given ESCO until it's appropriate to share it. And that usually means when the other one of us has been told that by that ESCO. In other words, we, you know, we, we collaborate, uh, but we, we maintain a very high level of confidentiality even within the team. And I think when it comes to what what do we want in an ESCO, we, we want the same thing in an ESCO that we have at Davidson, which is, above all, a team and a team approach. Got it. Very good. Very good. Yeah, because, I mean, you can't be everything to everybody, right? You said it's a small, tight-knit industry here. There's certain ESCOs. You're like, okay, leadership lines up this way. Values line up this way. Culture lines up this way, right? We got this small niche group of, of ESCOs that we're going to partner well with. So uh, that's, that's really neat. So I know we, we've been we've been dancing around this a little bit, but just to kind of formalize kind of the forward-looking vision of where you see the industry heading, is it P3 or is there a separate type of aspect that you see maybe the next five, 10 years, this is the direction that projects are going to head? Well, what do you think on that, Charlie? I'm going to break the question into two parts. I think the on the finance side, the regulatory environment will continue to evolve toward a more uh, corporate finance structure, meaning the regulators are viewing projects that we're doing in the ESCO space uh, much more like a commercial credit or or an industrial credit. And that means additional levels of disclosure and additional levels of regulation. I think from, from from the ESCO side, I think there will continue to be movement toward the P3 
structure, probably some some hybrids are are going to develop whereby we can use a P3 structure, perhaps an operating agreement, but somehow manage to uh, structure the underlying financing still tax exempt. Uh, I, th I think that that's been uh, a challenge for the industry. I think we're moving in the right direction. I think NASCO has been of great assistance in, in moving that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to NASCO. I know that's how we got put in touch initially here. So um, yeah, I think they're, they're obviously doing great work. So let's transition to the, uh, the last part of the show here, Charlie, the same four questions to ask. I asked every guest that comes on. I wanted to start off here. What are your daily non-negotiables? You know, many people on, on your show, uh, uh, the word the word integrity comes up very often, and and I would I would pick that as well. But I think also, personally, it's intensity. You know, I I I start off at a hundred percent every morning, and I go to sleep at a hundred percent. And it I think it many people it it uh, it's a little off putting, but that's that's how I go. That's how I roll, and it it seems to have worked. That's awesome. You know, I, I love that you used 100% because I hear a lot of people say, oh, I go 110 or 120. Give me 110%. The quote from John Wooden was like, no, just give me 100. If you just give me 100%, I, I don't need 110 because 100 is going to get you really far. So I, I love that you used that number. <laughs> I, was, I got that from uh, from John Wooden. That's really cool. So let's uh, let's move on here to what, what advice would you give to your 22-year-old self? I would uh, The advice I would give is uh, don't chase trends. Uh, but but embrace change. Simple, simple, but not easy, right? That that was the other um, you know s similar advice that I think one of our previous guests had. You know, he gave really simple advice, but like, ah, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. So that's uh, that's great. And Charlie, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, I, I had a hard time with this one. I I think it's ultimately you know I um I love what I do. I obviously. Uh, have been in the business my entire career. I think I'm in the most interesting uh, aspect of public finance that exists. I think the creativity uh, that ESCOs bring to this space is un unparalleled in any other business, uh, as near as I know. So, so I think what, what motivates me is the ability to interact with the people in this industry on a daily basis. And what do you want your lasting legacy to be? I keep a uh, a number of uh, obituaries under my desk mat and just, you know, people who have, have passed on and kind of thoughts they left to the world. And, and uh, T. Boone Pickens uh, is an oil man who died in 19 and he wrote part of his own obituary and, and, you know, the rest, obviously his family wrote, he's got a poem and I don't, I'm sure he's not the author. I think Saxon Kissinger is the author, but I'm, I'm going to just read it real quick. And when we talk about legacy, it goes as follows. Sometime when you feel that you're going would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these, just follow these simple instructions and see how they humble your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Pull it out. And the hole that's remaining is a measure of how you'll be missed. And am I am I going to dent the world? I don't think so. But I think my lasting legacy is I have a wife that I've loved and she loves me and I've had a business I love. And 
I hope the business loves me. Oh man, that was that was perfect. I think that's definitely a first on the podcast to have a uh, beautiful poem being read, but I think that was really fitting. So, Charlie, I think that's a perfect way to to wrap up the show here. Thanks for time. Thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Jim, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right, there you have it. Episode 44 with Charlie Zitnick. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope you're sharing with your colleagues and friends as well. And one last thing that I would ask, if you have any guests in mind from the industry that might be interested in coming on, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you oil listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.